once upon a time, there was a prominent citizen of Cyprus by the name of Barnabas. When Barnabas became a Christian, he devoted his goods as well as his life to Jesus Christ. And Barnabas had a nephew by the name of John Mark. His mother, probably the sister to Barnabas, was a woman by the name of Mary. You remember when the church prayed for Peter when Herod had him in prison? It was in Mary's home that they had assembled to have that prayer meeting. When Peter was released from prison, it was to the wealthy home of Mary that Peter actually went. Barnabas was actually the one who vouched for Saul when Saul placed membership with the Jerusalem church. Barnabas and Paul made a trip on behalf of the poor saints at Jerusalem. When they returned to Antioch, they were accompanied by John Mark. And the church at Antioch then sent Barnabas and Paul out on a mission to preach the gospel. And when they went on that first missionary trip, they had John Mark and they took him with them. Mark actually accompanied them through the island of Cyprus. And then he accompanied them across the sea to Perga. And then we come to a brief statement by Dr. Luke in Acts chapter 13. He says, John left them and returned to Jerusalem. From the attitude that Paul later took, we know there was actually no good excuse for John Mark turning back. And yet, since Dr. Luke is silent, all we can do is speculate as to the reason of Mark's actions. I like to think that Mark turned back because he got homesick. He started thinking about that comfortable, sort of perfect sleeper he had back home. He was thinking about mama's chicken fried steak and roast beef on Sunday. And he was missing all that, and maybe his zeal for this adventure had worn off by this time, and maybe the whole enterprise was distasteful to him. And then again, maybe John Mark had gotten seasick on the voyage from Cyprus and didn't have any Dramamine to take care of that problem. And all those insects, maybe he had had malaria. Maybe he took a look at the great Taurus Mountains and he had heard the stories of the, of the brigands and the robbers and the gangs that inhabited and roamed those mountains. I mean, after all, Paul's getting into some dangerous and difficult territory now. He's beginning to write the history of what he writes about in the Corinthian letter when he writes about perils of waters and robbers and my own countrymen and the heathen, the city, the wilderness, the sea, and false brethren. All that's mentioned in, first, in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Maybe Mark actually saw what was coming. And he just didn't have the stuff inside him to face it. And he didn't have the stuff inside him to endure it. So he left the elderly Barnabas and the frail Paul to climb the mountains alone. 
And he took the first steps on his voyage back home to where Mama was. Well, then the time comes after they've had the conference on circumcision in Jerusalem. The time comes that they're planning, Paul and Barnabas are planning their next journey. They're going to go back and visit all the churches that they've established. And they're going to start from Antioch and go. And Barnabas said, well, I want us to take John Mark with us on this trip. And Paul said, no. Paul actually refused to let John Mark go with him on that second voyage. He didn't think it wise and he didn't think it was prudent to take a man with him who had deserted them. And this led to a dispute, a sad dispute, between those two great preachers, Paul and Barnabas. Luke tells us there was a sharp contention between the two. And it led to the separation of those two great Christian workers. Paul took Silas. And he started northwest and went to Cyprus. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus after Paul had gone to Tarsus. But this journey is a very different journey for Mark. Paul had been with them on the previous journey. Now they're without Paul. You see, Paul regarded John Mark as a quitter. And a coward. He considered him a deserter. He considered that John Mark was not fit to go with him on a great journey into Asia to preach the gospel. And there is the last we see of John Mark for quite some time. Because John Mark is the man who failed. And failed about as miserably as anybody could fail. You know, folks will forgive almost any weakness they can find. Folks will forget almost any fault. But the one fault and the one weakness folks seem to find the hardest to forgive is cowardice. And that was the charge against Mark. The bravest soul, Paul, the world ever saw told Mark, you're not fit to go with us to preach the gospel. That, however, thankfully, is not the whole story of Mark. Because if that was all there was to tell of Mark, he wouldn't be worth our time this morning. But there's another chapter to his life story, and it's a much better chapter in his life story. And that's the reason I find John Mark to be an interesting individual. Because you see, if God can find a place and a use for men like Mark and Peter, God can find a use and God can find a place for flawed men like me. And he can also find a place for you. For usefulness in his kingdom. The next time we hear of John Mark. He is in the company. Of another of the apostles. Peter. In his very first epistle. Peter sends a message to Christians that are scattered around the world. He says, the church that's in Babylon saluteth you. 
Now that's probably the name that Peter has given to Rome because of their corrupt and worldly nature. He says the, people, the church at Babylon salutes you. And then he says, Marcus, my son, also saluteth you. By this point, Mark has redeemed himself enough and approved himself so much in the eyes of Peter that he's with Peter. He's his companion. He's his friend. And just as Paul referred to Timothy as his son in the gospel, Peter refers to Mark, my son. There's evidently complete confidence. And there's deep affection in Peter's relationship with Mark. Well, the next mention we have of Mark comes from Rome. And this time we find Mark is not with Peter. He's with Paul. In his letter to the church at Colossae, Paul sends this greeting. It's in chapter 4 and verse 10 of the Colossian letter. He says, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, saluteth you, and Marcus, sister's son, to Barnabas. And then Paul goes on to say that if Mark comes to you, you are to receive him. By this time, Mark has completely reestablished himself in the eyes of Paul. And the implication there is, Mark had a reputation among the churches as a deserter because he had left Paul and Barnabas. He had a reputation as a quitter. And Paul wants to make sure. He says, if... Mark comes to you. I want you to receive him. He wants to make sure they don't hold what he's done in the past against him. And then again at the, in the letter to Philemon. Paul writes to Philemon and he sends the greetings of Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke. And how does he refer to them? He says, my fellow workers. But to me, the most thrilling mention of Mark. The most beautiful mention of Mark comes in Paul's last letter. Second Timothy was written not long before Paul was put to death. Paul's writing from a cold, damp, dark dungeon in Rome. Nero has put him there. Luke is probably actually the one that's writing the letter as Paul dictates it. And he's writing it to young timid Timothy in faraway Ephesus. And Paul says to Timothy, I want you to come. And when you come, I want you to bring the cloak that I left at Troas with Carpus. And my books. And especially my parchments. And in that fourth chapter of 2 Timothy, he says... Do your very best to come before winter. He tells him, Demas has forsaken me because he loved the world more than he loved God. Crescens has gone to Galatia to preach and Titus is preaching in Dalmatia and 
Luke is the only one that's with me. Paul's told him to bring his cloak and his books and his parchments. And then Paul adds one more request. There's another friend Paul wants to have with him in those last hours. Who is it? Is it Onesimus that he had rescued from sin and shame as being the runaway slave from Philemon? Is it Aristarchus or Silas, the companions of his journeys? Is it Priscilla and Aquila, the two tent makers who were with him in Ephesus? None of them. Paul says to Timothy, he says, take Mark and bring him with you when you come. For he is profitable to me for the ministry. Paul says, I want Mark. I want the man that deserted me at Perga and left me to climb the mountains alone. I want Mark, the quitter and the coward. I want Mark, who caused the separation between me and Barnabas. He says, take Mark. Bring him when you come. Bring Mark to me. Because Mark is profitable to me for the ministry. The man that started out so poorly is making a grand finish. The man that threw away his first chance has made a noble use of his second chance. The man who is first mentioned as a deserter and a coward, that's the man Paul wants with him as he faces death at the hands of Nero's executioner. He wants the man of weakness and cowardice that wrote the second gospel. How did this happen? How did Mark's remarkable recovery come about? Well, there was Mark's own determination to make good where he'd failed. You know, folks have a different reaction. Different folks have different reactions when they're rebuked sometimes. And when some folks are rebuked, they have a completely different attitude from what John Mark did. Paul rebuked Mark severely for his weakness and his failure. Paul even refused to let him join them on the second missionary journey. Well, some folks would have reacted with utter defiance. Some folks would have reacted in anger. Well, fine, Paul, that's the way you feel. You can just forget about me. I'm not, I don't even want to be near you. I don't want to breathe the same air you do. I've rebuked folks in the past and pretty much gotten that reaction out of them. But Mark didn't react that way. Rather than defiance and anger, with Mark it was just the opposite. Mark wasn't angry with Paul. And he didn't defiantly throw away Christianity and abandon the Lord because of it. Mark resolved in his heart he would do better. He resolved in his heart that he would show Paul he could make a man out of himself. But there was something else that took place and that was the sympathy of Peter. 
And that's not something we ought to find strange. And it's not something that we ought to find out of the ordinary. Peter could look back in his own life and Peter could see the dark and bitter time that night he had denied Jesus. The night he went out and wept with bitter tears rolling down his face. The night that in Jesus' hour of need, Peter had failed him so miserably. Because of his own failure, Peter could find sympathy for Mark. But then again, Paul needs to receive some credit for Mark's restoration and Mark's growth. A lesser man than Paul would never have been reconciled to someone who had deserted him in the hour of need like Mark had done at Perga. But with Paul, it wasn't a matter of personal feeling. With Paul, it was a matter of principle. The moment Mark proved he could do better, and Mark showed that he wanted to do better, Paul gave him a second chance. You remember Paul wrote that beautiful passage of Scripture in Galatians 6 and verse 1? Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, you which are spiritual restore such a one in a spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. In the case of Mark, Paul was putting into practice what he had been preaching. He said, Mark, it's all forgiven. Mark, it's all been forgotten. I personally find it heartwarming, actually, to read what Paul wrote to Timothy. Take Mark. Bring him with you. He's profitable to me for the ministry. But that's not the most wonderful part of the story. Mark's resolve to do better is wonderful. The love and the sympathy of Peter is wonderful. The forgiveness of Paul is touching. But the most wonderful, beautiful part of the story is the love and the grace of God. It was the love of God and God's beautiful forgiveness. And that's what brought Mark from failure and sin to a place of usefulness and honor. All of us, every one of us, is conscious from time to time of our failures, aren't we? We're conscious of our own weaknesses, aren't we? And we can sit down and all of us could recall and can recall times of deep, even tragic failure. Times when we failed ourselves. Times when we failed our friends. Times when we failed our family. We can recall times we failed God. 
Because we didn't give God our very best. Because of God's love and God's grace and God's mercy. We can read the story of John Mark. And we can take heart again. And realize for the penitent soul that's willing to repent and willing to ask God for forgiveness and willing to start over. Our God is the God of the second chance. And the third. And the fourth. And the fifth. And I'm so thankful for that. And all of us should be. Remember the story of Mark and take heart. Do you need to make changes? Do you need to come back to the Lord? Do you need to do something different? If we can help you do that, this is your opportunity to do it as together we stand and while we sing.